From Upstate Medical University, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. Dr. Tom Welch is the chair of the Department of Pediatrics at Upstate Medical University and the medical director for the Upstate Golisano Children's Hospital, and he'll be retiring later this year. So we asked him to look back at the child health care successes and the ongoing challenges during his time at Upstate. Thanks for being here. Great to be here, Amber. It seems like only yesterday I was being interviewed as the new chair. It does. <laughs> well, you graduated medical school back in 1973, and then you did a residency in pediatrics and two fellowships in pediatric nephrology. That's 45 years of practicing medicine, and I'd like to start by asking what you've enjoyed most in your career. Well, I think in the final analysis, any pediatrician would tell you that taking care of patients and becoming involved in the lives of patients and their families is really the most gratifying thing. I certainly have had successes and fulfillment in the research, teaching, and administrative part of my career, Uh, but the one common thread throughout it all has been the fundamental business of taking care of sick children. And one of the things I really enjoyed about my position here is that in many larger institutions, it's almost impossible for a department chair or hospital medical director to continue to have an active practice. But I've been fortunate enough here that in addition to everything else, um, I take care of children regularly. Neat. Well, during your tenure, the biggest or at least the most visible um, change in child health care in central New York has been the development of the Upstate Golisano Children's Hospital. And I'm guessing that you never imagined when you were in medical school that one day you would help design a children's hospital, right? Uh, I think that's probably right. There were a lot of things I didn't envision in medical school, and that was certainly one of them. Okay. Uh, This project consumed many years of your professional life, though, right? So It it, it certainly did. In fact, uh, Amber, this was one of the things that made it take so long for me to accept the position here. At the time I came to Syracuse, I was working at Cincinnati Children's Hospital, which is a large, freestanding, very well-known children's hospital. And the idea of coming to a city that not only didn't have a children's hospital, but where there were actually inpatient pediatric beds in three separate hospitals uh, was a bit daunting to me. Um, So I, I really was quite clear that I did not intend to finish my career working in a setting like that, and that one of the reasons for coming here would be to have the opportunity to really start with a clean slate and build a children's hospital. So it really took a couple of years in working with Dr. Eastwood, who was the president at the time, uh, for me to feel comfortable enough that we would be able to do this when I was here. Is it like you envisioned it and wanted it to be? Has it turned out that way? You know, it's, it's amazing. If you talk to people who have ever built anything, inevitably they're going to have horror stories about it. Uh, Greg Mayer is the architect who designed the uh, Children's Hospital. Uh, He uh, actually is out on the West Coast now, and serendipitously I just ran into him at a party actually, uh, quite a ways away from Syracuse. And we got talking about things, and I said, you know, Greg, if you were to ask me now, and this was probably six years from the time the hospital opened, um, what would you do differently? I honestly couldn't come up with anything. I I think that the hospital, at least structurally and operationally, um, really came out just the way that we had hoped it would. Neat. Well, and it's it's more than just the structure, though, as well, right? Can you talk about um, how having this hospital has changed sort of the, the types of specialties 
that we're able to offer and sure the uh, reality today is that specialty pediatric care and by specialty pediatric care I'm talking about things like kidney disease and cancer and cystic fibrosis those really subspecialized disorders that require very specialized care it's increasingly difficult to attract the specialists who deliver that care, the pediatric specialists and the surgical specialists who deliver that care, uh, because we're competing with centers throughout the country where that type of care is really being consolidated. Um, so totally separately, but hand in hand with the development of the Children's Hospital, we nearly tripled the number of pediatric medical and surgical subspecialists working in Syracuse. Uh, and we really brought them from major centers all over the country. Um, and, and really, one thing couldn't happen without the other. If it were not for the development of the Children's Hospital, we never would have been able to bring in those sorts of people. On the other hand, without those sorts of people being here, then the Children's Hospital would just be an empty shell. Neat. Well, and it means that uh, more people don't have to leave central New York to get care for these sorts of conditions. That's very true. Uh, many children's hospitals of our size, especially if they're near larger metropolitan areas, uh, experience a, a movement of some children to other larger centers. Uh, and I think for two reasons, we rarely see that here. One reason, frankly, is that we're far enough away from the other major children's hospitals like Boston and Philadelphia uh, that most people would not go there were it not for one highly specialized service that we just don't offer. So I think the combination that we're able to offer virtually everything here and the fact that we're a ways away from those centers means that the only families that really need to travel out of Syracuse are the very rare situation in which there is something that's just so unique and so focused that we need a center that has more experience with it. Interesting. Um, let me remind listeners, this is Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, talking with the Chair of Pediatrics at Upstate Medical University and Medical Director of the Upstate Golisano Children's Hospital, Dr. Tom Welch. Um, let's talk, as, as you're looking to, to retire, let's talk about what some of the ongoing challenges for healthcare are in central New York and in the region and in the nation. Sure, and, and I'm glad you framed it that way because there are challenges that are unique to Syracuse and Onondaga County, challenges that are unique to our region, uh, and challenges that are unique nationally. And there's some uh, areas in which we share challenges and, and others in which we're unique. So to start with Syracuse, um, I think there are a couple of things. Um, one is uh, certainly that the increasing impact of childhood, emotional, behavioral, mental illness is becoming a real challenge here. Uh, this was starting to become a problem around the time that I came, but several things happened after I got here to make it worse. Uh, it was only a few years after I was here that a major inpatient child psychiatry unit, the Four Winds Hospital, closed rather suddenly, and that immediately took 64 inpatient child psychiatry beds uh, out of the mix. 
Uh, Hutchings Psychiatric Center has an excellent pediatric program, uh, but that has had to back off on the number of beds and its availability of services. And along with that, the availability of outpatient providers for children's mental health services, while lately we've experienced a very gratifying uptick, uh, is still not where it should be. So we have those uh, structural and personnel factors in terms of the delivery of children's mental health care. But then along with that, we have the national issue of mental illness uh, seemingly having exponential growth in, in children. And we have certainly experienced that here in the same way that people have throughout the country. So the combination of experiencing the growth in children's mental health disorders uh, with some drop in ability to deal with them has been a real challenge. Fortunately, uh, we have uh, begun to address that as most of our listeners know, uh, we will be opening an inpatient uh, child psychiatry unit as part of the Children's Hospital. It's a bit separate geographically, but it's really part of our services. Um, that will only take care of a small number of the inpatient needs, but uh, that certainly is there. We're hoping to be able to work with the state to improve the breadth and the volume of services that are being offered at uh, Hutchings. And we're soon going to open a new inpatient unit uh, for the very unique subset of children that have very severe behavior disorders as a consequence of mental illness or developmental disability. This is a another real problem. It's not as massive because the numbers of children are smaller, uh, but it creates a, a huge problem because actually in the entire state of New York, there's not an inpatient facility for such children. So uh, children not just from Syracuse, but Rochester, Albany, New York City, uh, wind up going to Massachusetts, to Maine, to Rhode Island, to Maryland for that care. Uh, but because we have some expertise in those problems, uh, the State Office for People with Developmental Disabilities uh, has asked us to partner with them to open an inpatient unit. Uh, we're actually working with an architect now and hope to have that within the next year. Oh, that's exciting. So um, regionally, we've seen some hospitals that are no longer providing pediatric care. So has that been an impact? Sure, and, and that's uh, an example of kind of moving from the local area to regionally. Uh, and certainly... We cover a region generally of about 22 counties, and there are uh, roughly 17 hospitals in that area. I say roughly because our referral area uh, kind of varies uh, depending on the specialty, but uh, roughly 17 hospitals. Um, and when I started here, virtually all of those hospitals had small inpatient units, uh, so children with reasonably common problems, uh, asthma that's a little bit challenging to manage as an outpatient, but not severe enough to require intensive care. Uh, dehydration that responds to some intravenous fluids. Most of our regional hospitals were able to take care of those children. Uh, one by one, regional hospitals have stopped doing that. And what that has done, we really designed the hospital and had approval from the state for the size of the children's hospital uh, based on the level of activity we were seeing in the early 2000s, 2002, 2003. Uh, fast forward to 2018, we're now seeing many, many more children with problems that a decade ago would have been cared for in local communities that are now coming to us. So we always got the 
children with leukemia and the children with uh, major trauma, but now those children with asthma and even problems like appendicitis that typically were handled in regional hospitals are starting to come here. I don't think there's any question that this is good for children. Um, certainly having your uh, appendix taken out by a pediatric surgeon with a pediatric anesthesiologist and an entire team of people that are used to and comfortable working with children uh, is better than having it done in a remote location, perhaps without that type of expertise. Uh, but that creates a demand for the family to have to travel for Syracuse, to Syracuse for that. Um, and it certainly impacts our activity and makes us even busier. Uh, well, let's talk about what you, uh, nationally, what do you think the, the biggest issue is for in child health care? Sure. I, I think if you were to ask almost any academic pediatrician that question, they would have one answer, and that is poverty uh, and the development of health disparities. Uh, we, we were actually having a discussion today of a very complicated child uh, who with a partner hospital we successfully treated for an incredibly complicated problem. And that incredibly complicated problem probably wouldn't have occurred in Europe because the healthcare system there is such that the problem would have been recognized much earlier and dealt with. But we have the dilemma in the United States of the ability to offer incredibly high-tech, sophisticated care uh, but our outcomes nationally are actually a bit of a disgrace. Uh, for example, the infant mortality rate, which is the number of children under the age of one that die per thousand, is 5.8 in the United States. So overall in the United States, 5.8 children out of every thousand die before their first birthday. Uh, this is between uh, Bosnia and Serbia. It's, it's around 60th uh, um, wow. in the world. Uh, and that is, uh, Japan, for example, has an infant mortality rate of two. Uh, France, uh, I think it's a little bit over three. And that number, 5.8, uh, is actually even worse than you might think because states that have higher degrees of poverty, let's take uh, Alabama and Mississippi, for example, have infant mortality rates of about nearly twice that, around eight or nine. Uh, on the other hand, states where poverty is not quite as concentrated, New York and California, uh, have infant mortality rates that are in the low fours. So you can argue about why this is, but the one common denominator seems to be that children who grow up in poverty uh, are exposed to more environmental agents, uh, their families may be a bit more stressed, they don't have the resources to get regular pediatric care. So I think this continuing challenge of poverty and social distress as a major contributor to childhood mortality and childhood morbidity is something that we as a nation really need to come to grips with. And we have issues with that here in our community. Absolutely. In Syracuse. Uh, Syracuse, as you know, uh, you know, we can argue about the specifics, but uh, Syracuse is certainly ground zero for poverty. And uh, similarly, uh, although again, there's some confusion about the data, but one childhood illness that's a marker of, or that is uh, an indicator of poverty is uh, lead levels. And certainly Syracuse being an area with uh, fairly 
widespread poverty uh, is also an area in which uh, lead levels tend to be a little higher than other places in the country. And you know, I see this every day in the hospital. If you look, uh, asthma, for example, is one of the most common disorders that leads to hospitalization in children. And yet, if you go through our hospital, you'll find that the vast majority of children hospitalized with asthma um, are covered by Medicaid or government insurance, which is a surrogate for um, poverty or a, a lack of wealth. Uh, uh, these children receive excellent care in the hospital, but the point is asthma as a disease affects children from all socioeconomic groups. Uh, but it seems that children that don't have the burden of poverty uh, are able to have their asthma managed in the outpatient setting and don't wind up being hospitalized. There's a, another uh, thing which I think you'll find uh, many of us uh, find extremely distressing nationally, uh, and that's actually a bit of a, of a backstep. You know, one of the greatest advances in uh, health care for children in the past 50 years or so uh, has been the elimination of many, many very serious diseases by immunization. Uh, uh, certainly, uh, Polio predated my medical training, but if you talk to uh, the grandparents of many people listening, they have terrible memories of children and schools being decimated by polio. When I was a uh, resident in pediatrics, one of the most common conditions leading to admission to the hospital uh, was meningitis uh, from a couple of different bacteria, pneumococcus and haemophilus influenza. Uh, both of those have largely disappeared. I don't think we've had a child with haemophilus meningitis here uh, in a couple of years, uh, and yet it was something that we would see a couple of cases a month. So on the one hand, immunizations have been incredibly successful in lowering the burden of disease. Unfortunately, there has been, and this is largely unique to the United States, uh, this bizarre movement away from immunization that's largely driven by folks who really don't know and appreciate the science and unfortunately is amplified by the media and celebrities. So we're actually backstepping a bit and starting to see epidemics of measles, measles. and mumps and conditions that long ago had disappeared. And, uh, you know, really for a pediatrician looking back on a career, um, I, I certainly would not have thought when I graduated from medical school in 1973 that in 2018 I would be moaning uh, the rebirth of diseases that we thought we had eliminated. Well, for immunization, I mean, that is a good success that you've seen for people who follow through and get immunized. Sure. Let's talk about some of the other major successes that have happened during your career. I mean, childhood cancers. Sure. I, I think that uh, childhood cancer is a, a great example. Uh, and, and I was really very fortunate to be on the cusp of this. Uh, in the early 1970s, uh, we were just beginning to have some success with childhood leukemia, the use of uh, steroids and vincristine, methotrexate, some of the first drugs that were available and interestingly are still used. That was just coming around. You know, we've reached the point now where the diagnosis of leukemia for most children while clearly it's devastating for a family to hear that their child had, has cancer, uh, but the expectation can be comp complete cure. Uh, and we've been able to do that, not just by throwing new drugs at it, but by doing basic science investigations that have 
recognized, for example, that leukemia is not just one disease. Leukemia is actually a host of different types of diseases caused by different cells and different genes. Uh, and as we recognize that more and more, we can begin to tailor therapy toward it. So the the incredible advances uh, in that area have been have been really very very important. Uh, similarly, organ transplantation. Uh, I'm involved, uh, obviously, in kidney transplantation because that's my uh, kidney disease in children is my specialty. Uh, and today, uh, you know, we are fortunate to have in our kidney transplant program right here in Syracuse, uh, virtually 100% uh, one in five year. Gra uh, kidney transplant survival in children, which is, uh, again, something that a couple of decades ago, we were doing transplants a couple decades ago, uh, but certainly not with the sophisticated medications now that can modulate the immune system and keep children from rejecting their, uh, their transplant. I, I think the other thing that's been an advance, although uh, it's, a, it's an advance to, to treat a, another problem, uh, has been the management of trauma. Uh, we have uh, been very blessed uh, here in Syracuse to have an excellent uh, trauma program both for adults and children. In fact, we were the first hospital in New York State to be accredited by the American College of Surgeons as both a pediatric and an adult uh, trauma center. Uh, and the expertise that we can bring to children who have devastating injuries, uh, even ones that occur in the remote uh, areas of our referral area, Ogdensburg and places like that, um, it, it's really remarkable the combination of pediatric surgery, trauma surgery, uh, support from neurosurgery and orthopedics uh, that we can really successfully treat these children and rehabilitate them. On the other hand, trauma is also a function of poverty. <laughs> and you find that uh, many of our children who are most severely affected by traumatic injuries, uh, trauma is, or, uh, poverty is one of the antecedents of that. Huh, okay. And then there's also been some improvements in hospital quality and safety under your tenure. Yeah, there sure has, and, and that's another thing that I was uh, very excited to be able to bring to Syracuse. Uh, you know, people think of hospitals as a place to go when you're sick and place to get well, uh, but sadly, hospital care in the United States uh, has been recognized increasingly as unsafe. Uh, there's a report by the Institute of Medicine many years ago uh, that claimed somewhere around 80 to 90,000 people a year die in the United States from medical errors. Again, people quibble about that number. Maybe it's higher, maybe it's lower, uh, but it really is not what it should be. And children are particularly susceptible to medical errors. Their small size uh, gives one much less uh, uh, margin for error, if you will, in things like drug doses and that sort of thing. Um, so we were really uh, here at Golisano uh, pioneers in incorporating a lot of the patient safety technology in what we do. We have participated now for many years in some national consortiums that uh, take a very careful and transparent look at everything that we do. So we track and publicize our hospital-acquired infection rates and our blood clotting rates and falls, all of these indicators that, that there are problems. And literally any time we have any type of a complication in a child, 
we put together a team uh, not to establish blame, but to look very deeply into it. What is the explanation for this? What can we do to make sure that it doesn't happen again? So uh, from something that a decade and a half ago, people were just starting to talk about, we now have a physician patient safety officer. We have a couple nurses involved in patient safety, and we have whole teams, including parents, uh, that are working with us to improve patient safety. So, right, because there's a parent council, really, that gives some advice on on the hospital experience, right? Absolutely. Yeah, we, we have uh, two levels of community involvement. And really, one of the things when I first started talking up the idea of a children's hospital in the community, I wanted people to appreciate it was going to be a community resource. And we were asking for money from the community, but we also wanted to get their support and feedback. So we have a community advisory council that's a group of leading citizens in the, the community uh, Steve Fournier from uh, Key Bank and Teresa Underwood from Channel 9 um, are two of the major figures, the president and the president-elect of our Children's Hospital Council, Advisory Council. So they provide us kind of high-level advice and recommendations on programs and help us in a variety of ways. Uh, but we also have more uh, foot-on-the-ground type of uh, a service from a family advisory council that's made up of parents of children that are currently or recently in the hospital. Uh, and they give us very direct feedback on what's going on. Um, I personally walk through the hospital several times a week and just randomly walk into rooms and talk with families and uh, try to get a sense of what their concerns are and what we can be doing better. Well, neat. Well, I know also um, you've had sort of a side career in wilderness medicine. Um, is that something you plan to continue in retirement? Uh, that's a, a funny story. Actually, just a couple days ago, I, I had an email from a potential client uh, who uh, heard that I was retiring and uh, wants me to guide uh, him and his family on a trip in the uh, Adirondacks. <laughs> Uh, in fact, last week I was at a meeting in Texas of outdoor educators giving a workshop on some of this. So, yes, uh, outdoor activity has been a passion of mine, mountain climbing, kayaking, canoeing, uh, and I certainly hope to pursue that in some way in retirement. Um, I obviously want to pursue just uh, sitting on the beach or by the lake in the Adirondacks as well. So that'll be part of it. But will you? would you be a guide? Oh, oh, certainly. Sure. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, any of your listeners that are interested, it's Adirondack.com. Adirondack, D-O-C, dot com. Okay. Well, great. Well, thank you so much for being here. My guest has been Dr. Tom Welch, the medical director of Upstate Golisano Children's Hospital and the chair of pediatrics at Upstate Medical University. And we wish you well in retirement. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.